0: Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Does God ever feel distant to you? Do you ever feel as though there's a distance between me and God? I feel as though God is not as present or as manifest in my life as He's been at times. I think the Bible clearly supports the idea that this is an experience of God's people. And it happens from time to time. And you can have a lot of bad conclusions that arise from that feeling. You see, if you start with how you feel about something and then start trying to work into what the reason is for that, you may be starting on a bad premise. We should rather start with what the Word of God says about God and His presence and start with that. And then assess your feelings in light of what the truth of the Word of God says, right? We want to start with that as our bedrock. But I want to recognize that God's people do at times feel as though God is distant from them. You ever feel dissatisfied, right? The Apostle Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, dissatisfaction is kind of the opposite of contentment is it not there's some expectations you have about how your life is to be how it should be how it's supposed to be and that may be some ideal in your head that you've invented and yet you look at your life by comparison you say it's not quite living up to the ideal that i had there and maybe the gap between those two things is some discontent right i don't feel content in that disparity That's an occasion for us to assess what we think those expectations should be. And I think what we'll find in many instances is that if you really stress test your own expectations, you'll find that there's a lot of presumptuousness in in that. We presume that we should have things better maybe than we actually do at times. And this is a common sentiment, this idea that God is distant from me. Psalm 27 makes this statement. 27 and verse nine, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me. O God of my salvation. Now the Bible says the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. So that's the truth you need to orient your mind around, right? But here is King David and he's I'm sure King David knew that God was not going to leave him or forsake him, and yet he expresses this sentiment that I feel as though God might leave me. I think in David's case, and in this instance, you're talking about something where he's kind of looking at himself and entering into the idea of, you know, I'm just so totally unworthy. I am so imperfect and flawed. Why would God, who's perfect and holy, why would he want to have any kind of relationship with me? You know, it's almost like if I was God, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Groucho Marx, I think, said, I would never want to be a member of a club that would have someone like me as a member. It's that kind of sentiment, right? I'd see who I am, and I'm not really impressed with who I am. And so God is holy and perfect. If I was him, I'd run away. We feel that way at times. And I think it's not an unusual sentiment among God's people. The David here is saying, don't hide your face from me, Lord. Leave me not, neither forsake me. O God of my salvation. We feel that way at times. Turn over to Psalm 55. There's another statement that's very similar. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. There's an implication. There's sort of a notion there that I think God might ignore me. right? He might not be paying attention. In fact, there was a call to prayer in the Old Testament that's called the Shema, where they say, Hear, O Israel, and they would call out to God. And it, there's kind of an implication there that sometimes people may not listen, and you can apply that towards God. Maybe God's not listening. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever prayed about something, prayed for some deliverance in some aspect of your life, and you just don't receive that deliverance in what you would regard to be a timely fashion, and you come to the conclusion, God is not really listening to me? Well, is that true? Or is that how you feel? Right? God hears what what you're saying. His timing is not your timing. We've talked about that many times before. And just because you have not received deliverance in the most timely fashion does not mean God's not listening, though you may feel that way. So a lot of times in our lives as we manage this, it's about not exalting how you feel above what God's Word says. And that's a corrective that comes up in our lives. When we get to feeling this way, we need to come back and say, okay, I know how I feel, but God's Word says something different. If you've ever been on a tilt-a-whirl at the state fair, that thing spins you around and gets your head spinning. And sometimes when you get off of a ride like that, you get your feet on the ground and you still feel like you're spinning, do you not? There's something going on in your inner ear, there's stuff swirling around and it gives you the false impression that you're still spinning, the world may seem like it's moving around you, but you're not spinning. You feel as though you're spinning, but the truth is you're not spinning. That's very hard when that sort of things going on with your inner ear to convince yourself of the truth that you're really not spinning because it sure feels like you are. In a similar fashion, the way we feel is often a terrible guide about what's really going on here. And if you feel as though God is distant from you or is not responding to you or He's invisible, He's ignoring you, is that the correct perspective? The Bible says He'll never leave us nor forsake us. It's important to know that. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. This is someone who's dealing with a wicked world. I'm in the middle of this wicked world. I'm attacked by them. I'm assaulted by them. And I'm I'm calling out for some deliverance here. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. There's a sense of someone who thinks maybe God's not listening to them of, you know, I just like to run away from all these things. I'd like to just depart from all this. And so God's people feel this way. David felt this way. And David's life is an example to us. And if you want to understand something about your own psychology and how you think about things as a spiritual person, it's very helpful to read the Psalms because David kind of lays it all out there in a very honest fashion, in a way that says, it feels like God's not paying attention to me sometimes. It feels like God may be ignoring me. He's hiding his face from me. We do feel that way. And we know that God is all around us. They'll never leave us nor forsake us. And sometimes that distance is because we're just measuring the difference between our timing and expectations and God's timing and expectations. Any of those things that we list as answered prayers uh, that we should be thankful for, a lot of times were the things that we prayed for for some time and eventually had some deliverance on it. And that time in the middle where you're managing the difference between what you expect in terms of deliverance and God actually delivering you is the time when we're apt to feel as though God is not listening to us, is it not? But that's a short-sighted thing, and it's really not the testimony of the Bible. All that being said, it is possible to live your life in such a way that you are creating distance between yourself and God. So what I'm going to suggest to you today, God is ever with us. However, to the extent that you press into your relationship with God, you minimize the distance between you and God. And I'm going to suggest this, that a lot of what God's people experience in this world that feels like God is distant from me is actually us being distant from God. Now, if you had a relationship that you wanted to foster and build, maybe you had a child and you then structured the events of your life so that you don't have really much of any time to spend with that child. And You let that play out over 10 years or 20 years. What is the nature of that relationship going to be? If you said, okay, I have a child, I know that, I'm, I'm a parent, I have a child, but I'm just so busy doing other stuff, I'm not going to spend any time with that child. Would you, would you not then say 20 years down the road, if you said, it feels like I don't really have a, much of a relationship with the child, would you not look at that example and say, well, I mean, why would you expect to? Just being in that genetic relationship with the child is not going to build the fellowship between you and the child, right? There's going to have to be an investment in time in that child's life if you're going to build a relationship there, right? Anyone knows that, right? Anyone knows that. Any relationship on a horizontal level that you want to foster and want it to be better and you want to build personal fellowship and intimacy with one another you're going to have to commit time to it it's time and it's information it's not just well we sat in the same room for two hours every day we never spoke with one another. you got to spend time together but you've got to share information you got to talk about what's going on what's what are your feelings what are your hopes and aspirations what are the things that trouble you what are the bad things going on in your life what are the good things going on in your life it's those types of conversations borne out over time that build relationships with people. And we all know that. We all know it. We'd be horrified if someone was trying to say, I'm trying to build a very close relationship with one of my children and I don't spend any time with them. It would be very difficult to sustain that idea. I mean, if you take it into other areas, well, do you want to be a better tennis player? Do you want to be a better basketball player? Do you want to be a better musician? Do you want to be a better water skier? No one would take those ideas and say, but I'm not going to spend any time water skiing, playing basketball, playing tennis or any of those. They recognize it's embedded in this that if I'm going to get better at those things and foster my relationship with those activities, I'm going to have to spend time on it and apply some effort there, am I not? And yet so many times when we get into the spiritual realm, we become incredibly mystical. We don't think, I need to apply the same sorts of diligence in my spiritual life that I would apply to my getting better at tennis, or becoming a better deer hunter, or becoming a better uh, public speaker, right? Any sort of activity you'd have out there, you recognize, I'm going to get returns on that, that I put some time and effort into. And then we get to religion, it's like, well, God's going to, He's going to move me in, in these, this way or that way. I'm not really going to have to put any effort in it. These things are just going to magically transpire in my life. Well, now, God can intervene in your life. There's no doubt about that. And He has at times. But the New Testament is full of admonitions to God's people to serve the Lord, seek the Lord, follow after the Lord, seek Him, Right? And so there's a responsibility laid upon us in that. And I'm saying that to the extent that we are diligent about that responsibility, we will find that sense of our distance between us and God uh, beginning to evaporate. Because oftentimes that sense of distance is created by our own behaviors. In the same way that a father, if he never spent any time with his child, would have a very difficult time building a relationship with that child over time, if we spend no time in God's presence, in God's kingdom, around God's people, pouring ourselves into that endeavor, it should come as no surprise if we're saying, well, I'm spiritually cold. I feel as though God is distant from me. At work, a lot of times, I've said this before, I kind of work in the realm of business planning at times, and we try to come up with an annual plan every year. And When you do that in a business, that you've got, A combination of two factors. Put it simply like this. You've got the things that are in your control and the things that are out of your control, right? At work, I can't affect the macroeconomic conditions, right, that are out there. Those are things that are going to be thrust upon us. Maybe you come up with ways that you think it might go this way or that way, but you really can't control that. But there are some things you can control in a business. You can control how much money you're going to invest in one endeavor or another, how many people are you going to hire, How many hours are they going to work? What sort of things should they be working on? These are things that you have control over. And what I'm going to suggest is that in our spiritual lives, we should be mindful of the things that we have some measure of control over. We have some measure of capacity to make decisions and do certain things, do we not? Obviously, we're enabled by God's Spirit to do that. I don't want to give the impression that a unregenerate person who's dead in trespasses and sins is going to be able to conjure up the ability to come serve God. But those of you who are born of the Spirit of God are regularly exhorted to exercise the motions of the new man in your life. And so that's a responsibility that's laid upon us. So we should focus on what's in our wheelhouse. What are the controls that we have at our disposal? If you're piloting a big boat across the ocean, you really can't control which way the winds are blowing or where the currents are, how big the waves are. That's just the circumstance you're in. But in your wheelhouse, you've got some controls there. You can make the boat go forward or backward. You can turn the left engine on, the right engine off. You can turn the wheel. You can bring the sails down. There's all these different things you can do. And those are the things that are within your control. So are we focusing on the things that are within our control? Do we draw nigh unto God? That's the question. And I want to look at this in James chapter 4. James 4 speaks about this matter in a way that I think is very profitable. As you're turning there, I'll make this statement. So. I said something about a one-year Bible and how profitable that is. Sometimes that's way too big of a hurdle for some folks. I get it. Some people are not big readers. I get that. I'm not trying to make everybody into a bookworm. But I will say this. James is a relatively small book. And if you want to study the Word of God, I think James is full of practical admonitions that are pretty straightforward and easy to understand. So put James on your list. It's uh, five chapters. Uh, Let's see. One, two, three. That's you got 4 pages. So, that's not a heavy burden and James is not terribly complicated. It's pretty straightforward advice and I would say among the Old Baptists, we're probably pretty light on preaching in James. We tend to be heavier on the doctrinal piece of what God has done and this is this book is a lot about practical admonitions. So maybe you know we should spend a little more time there. Write that down. That may be something you can spend some time in the coming weeks looking at because it's not not too uh, not too much to, to absorb there. Chapter four. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hints even of your lust that war in your members? So it's talking about the trouble you got in your life. You got all kinds of strife and trouble coming around in your life, warring and fighting among God's people. This could be within your family. It could be within your work environment or whatever. I think in this context, he's talking mostly about within the kingdom of God. But I think these things come up with it, outside the kingdom of God as well. Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. So he's not laying this. There's here's some situations going on. And he's saying the enemy is within here. The things that cause this problem are your own lusts within Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Well, too often when we think about our expectations, we're thinking of the wrong things. One of the things I learned in business early on was I would go to see clients and they would sometimes sit me down in in a conference room and they'd say, well, we need to see this and we need to see that and we want you to come back and do this and show me the price with this in and the price with that out and then if you did A and B but not C and then you did B and C but not A and at the end of this, I would realize there's this mountain of work I would have to do and I'd have to step back from it and say the truth of this conversation is really that they don't even know what they're asking for. They don't know what they need. So I could follow the letter of the law in terms of what they told me to go do. And I could come back with this hodgepodge of stuff they asked for. Or I could step back and say, what's the problem they're actually trying to solve? And how do I come back with a solution to that? And the the realization there is that sometimes people get so confused on things, they don't even know what to ask for. They don't really know what they want. They might think, I want this out of life. And they're so confused about what life is supposed to be that they don't even know the right thing to ask for. I think this is the reason you see people win the lottery and then two years later they're completely broke again. They don't really know what life is about. They don't know what they want. You give them the opportunity to go get everything they want and they go out and get it and then they squander it and then they're back where they were before. They didn't have any clue what they needed. And when they got those things, they squandered them because once they got them, they weren't satisfying anymore, so they had to get rid of them and get something else. And then you do that and you keep the value of whatever you got and keeps going down and down until you're just down to nothing again. A lot of times, God's people, we have all sorts of expectations about our lives that have nothing to do with what's for your spiritual benefit. And this world feeds you all kinds of silly notions that you can orient your life around. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. That you may consume it upon your lust. Some of our prayers and some of the things we're even asking for, if we're really to get to the root of the matter, it's really just we have a lustful sense that we want to have more stuff to consume, more stuff. We ask for that. We do it because we want to consume it on our lusts. And it's silly. We don't even really know what's beneficial to us. Verse 4. It's kind of harsh language. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. These things actually put you in a state when you've aligned yourself with the doctrine of the world, which is to go out and get the stuff and so I can consume it on my lusts. I want to live large. Go for the gusto is what the old beer commercials used to say. That's what I want. When you align yourself with that, the Bible's calling you an adulterer or an adulteress. In a spiritual sense, you're cheating on God. And really, you're cheating yourself. Because these things don't provide any level of satisfaction in your life. They just don't. It actually puts you at odds with God. We've got the Lord of glory who has died for our sins, and we have heard that through the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet we still find ourselves oriented around stuff and materialism. Because that's the environment we find ourselves in. It's promoted every day. Every commercial you ever see on television is telling you there's something you don't have that you need to go buy, And it's just constantly around you. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain... The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. In other words, the Bible tells you that you have this lustful, envious notion that resides within you. It's telling you the truth. And we should keep it in check. Fortunately, there's verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Well, if you thought that thing was going to overwhelm you or that it was going to be an undefeatable enemy, know this, God gives you the grace sufficient to overcome this issue. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So we need to humble ourselves and think about things in the way God thinks about them. Not in the way our materialistic society thinks about things. Lusting for material things and things that don't fill us. And here then is the thing that is really my topic. What got me thinking about this earlier this week. Verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Implicit in that is that if you're doing this thing where you're going after the almighty dollar and you're focused on material things and you're thinking about asking God for things so you can consume them with your lusts and and you have the wrong attitude about the things that you think you want, you are not submitting yourself to God because this is telling you this is what you ought to do, right? Right? There's a lack of submission to God in rampant materialism. It's saying what I think I need is more important than what God says He's going to provide. You see that? That's the disconnect. It's putting yourself in the role of God. I think I know better than God. If I had a better car, nicer house, more money in the bank, better job, whatever. Things that you can acquire to consume them on your lust... I think that's better for me than what God would have for me in His kingdom. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So we're to turn from that and submit to God's will in the matter. And look what he says here. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's possible to court the devil in this world. Have you ever thought about that? It's possible to not resist the devil. And there's all sorts of evil things that are all around us, and we're probably too comfortable with most of them. Honestly, we live in a wicked society. How could it not numb us? If you lived in a noisy society, would you become numb to noise? I used to go to New York every once in a while for work, and i stay in a hotel there, and it's so noisy out at night, you know, it's like... Fortunately, my hearing's pretty bad, but I can see where being in that environment, if you're used to living in Donaldson or somewhere like, even just somewhere like Little Rock, it's just so much quieter. You get up there, it could be pretty distressing. And people who live in that environment for a long time, they go, well, I don't hear that. Fire truck going down the street right outside the door, then sleeping right through it. They become numb to it, right? It's very clearly that's the case. Do we become numb to the wickedness that is in the rampantly wicked world that we're around? It's really everywhere. If you try to just sit through a normal television program on some channel, there's going to be all kinds of things that are thrown up there. You walk through the checkout line and there's, you know, magazines and things that just put ungodliness in front of you all the time. And I guess in some respects, it's like a defense mechanism. You have to get to where you're not offended by it anymore. Otherwise, you'd just be walking around in offense all the time. But that callousness can make us become pretty casual about sin and wickedness and evil in, in the lives around us. And so we're supposed to resist the devil, and it says he will flee from you. I'll give you a homework assignment on that matter. The, the ultimate example, I think, that's in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness hungry, and he's being tempted by the devil to eat, and he resists the devil. And ultimately, in that example, I believe he resists on three different occasions there, ultimately the devil departs. The devil's got his limits on how much he's going to continue to persist in this. And resistance is something to drive him away. We should all probably redouble our efforts in that regard. But then look at verse 8. That was the, the opposite of this, which is resisting the devil. The devil will flee. Know that if you're resisting the devil, you can keep that up. He's ultimately going to give up in whatever acute attack he's in the middle of. He's going to Try to find uh, lower hanging fruit out there. Verse 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. There's no shall in that verse, but it has the same strength. It's a promise of God. It's a very plain statement in the Bible. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. This is the reason I say that when we look at the things that are within our control, in the wheelhouse of our lives... We're often not near to God because we have not drawn nigh unto God. And I know that because this plainly says that if you draw nigh to Him, He's going to draw nigh unto you. Right? The distance that we experience between us and God is a normal thing to feel. It's part of the frailty of the old man that we carry around. However, we can accentuate lengthen the duration of, increase the intensity of, that sense that God is distant from me simply because we're not drawing near to God at all. And that is a control in the wheelhouse that is utterly at your disposal. You can draw nearer to God. You can press into His kingdom. You can be in His kingdom. You can show up. You can participate in the kingdom of God. You can get to know others in the kingdom. You can read the word of God. You can try to foster better discussions with people. You can start cutting out things in your life that visit spiritual distress into your life. I know one of the things I've tried to do this year, and I've mentioned this from a pulpit a time or two, I think a lot of people get wrapped up in it, is just you get caught up in the news cycle. And there's so many upsetting things in the news that if you just say, I'm going to be, I used to kind of let news play in the background while I was working on things at work, and it would just constantly be drawing me into things that are very disturbing and upsetting. They're not spiritual. And on some level, I know that they're out there. I know I live in a wicked world, but does that mean I have to focus on affirming that truth over and over and over and over again in my life And, and foster the sort of depression and poorness of spirit that that's going to create in my life? Or should I rather say, okay, well, I know that's out there. Maybe I'll listen to the news occasionally. Maybe I need to find something else to be running in the background. Maybe I need to listen to some hymns. Maybe I need to listen to a sermon. Maybe I need to uh, there's audio Bibles out there. You can hear Alexander Scorby reading the King James Bible. Or There's just other things you could be doing. There's things you could be setting your mind on. There's things that would help you in your drawing nigh unto God. Because so many of these other things are drawing you away from God. You may not even think of them as drawing you away from God. But to the extent that they're setting your mind on things that are troubling, vexing, disturbing, they may be drawing you away from God. And most of those things, honestly, are things, if you go back to the boat metaphor, it, they're more like the wind and the waves. You're not going to change that. There's really not anything we're going to do It's going to change our gas prices or what's going on in the Ukraine or, you know, all these different big issues that are going on in our society. You know they're out there. But they're kind of the wind and the waves, are they not? And we've got to man the boathouse and try to manage the controls that we have at our disposal. So it's important that we do that. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. To what extent are we drawing nigh to God? To what extent do you have impediments between you and drawing nigh to God? What things have you placed between you and God? There's many things that people do place between themselves and God. I'll let you leave you to sort that out. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. It says humble yourselves here. And I think that implies that what you have when you're not submitting yourself to God, when you're not pursuing Him as you ought, is a lack of humility. It's a pridefulness that says, I'm going to pursue the things I want to pursue. Instead of the humility that says, you know what? I'm going to pursue God in my life. If we pursue God, we're going to reduce the perceived distance between us and God because He's going to draw nigh unto us. He promises to do so. Be afflicted in mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaven. Just humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Well, there's your shall, right? Do you want to be lifted up by God? Are you cast down right now? Do you feel distant from the Lord? This says, draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you, and He shall lift you up in these things if we humble ourselves. As we close, I want to look at Isaiah chapter 45. There was a verse in uh, this section of Isaiah that I think reminds me of this idea. We think God may be hiding Himself from us, but are we creating the distance between us and God because we're not living as we are, or we're, not, we're putting too many carnal things between us and service in the Lord's house and following the Lord in our lives. Verse 15 of Isaiah 45 says, Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. see, other people, other Christian people in samples in the Old Testament have experienced a similar thing in their lives, right? I feel like God is hiding Himself. This is the God that hides Himself. They shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. This is the wicked world. That's, that this is being spoken of but Israel think of this as God's people Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation you shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end there's the promises of God right there look out across the world and you say the evil people are getting ahead they're getting all the money and all the fame and the wealth and all that stuff but that is not how this story ends And we're to look at time through the lens of eternity. We're supposed to be thinking about this in terms of the big picture and where we'll end up. We have an everlasting salvation. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, He created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Now look at this. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not... Unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. When God says, seek me to Jacob, that's to God's people. He's like, I didn't tell you that for nothing. Right? You've probably heard in church a million times. Somebody says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, those can become vain churchy words when you say, well, that's just something people say in church. No, that's actually telling you to seek God. It's not, it wasn't told to you in vain. It's not just, All those words sound poetic and lovely to the ear. No, seek the Lord. There's a purpose in that. God declares things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together. Ye that are escaped of the nations, they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Think about that. You're coming here to worship the true and living God of this universe. And false religions across the world are rallying around to worship a piece of wood or a piece of gold or some fake God that they've invented out of their own minds. Look at the distinction between that. It's something we ought to be excited about. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. We're worshiping that God. Why would we put any impediments between us and the worship and service of that God? He is the God of our salvation. He's going to deliver us from all of this. And yet we get wrapped up in the things of the world and we don't draw nigh to God as we ought. Verse 22, we'll end here. Look unto me and be ye saved. There's no salvation in the carnal material things in this world, the distractions that we get so wound up about that our society is constantly going after. There's just not any. There's none, and yet do we believe that? Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. That's who we worship. We have to focus on the things that we have some measure of control over. And the degree to which we choose to press into the kingdom of God is one of those things. And I suspect that many of us, if not all of us, if we improved our efforts to draw nigh unto God, we would find He's drawing nigh unto us. And we would feel as though that distance that's between us and God is much smaller than we thought it was otherwise. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.